Hi there, welcome to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence, from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to Neurodivergent Magic. Hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome back to another episode of the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. Today, we have a really cool interview for you. I am talking with the one and only Juliana, who is a dietitian, and we are talking about the intersection of neurodivergence, especially autism and ADHD, and food. We talk about literally everything because we're both ADHD, so lots of tangents going on. Um, but we talk a lot about uh, how food connects with things like control, social pressure, and executive dysfunction. So without any further ado, uh, enjoy the interview. Hi, Juliana. How are you doing? Hello. I'm very excited to be here, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Juliana is one of the amazing people uh, we found through TikTok or Instagram. How did we connect? I think it was Instagram. I have a few of my things Instagram. on TikTok, but mostly, mostly living on Instagram at the moment. Awesome. I love my social media and neurodivergent family. So very cool to meet people this way. Um, and you're here today to talk about food and eating and how to be healthy and be neurodivergent at the same time, right? Yeah, which is really challenging because our brains are not like at a default set for us to be in a healthy eating situation. It's it's very challenging as someone who's neurodivergent to kind of low-key override some of the things that our brain is telling us, I would say. You yeah, know? there's so much advice out there, especially my own advice about like, mm -hmm. you know, being neurodivergent, a big part of it is learning to work with your brain and mm -hmm. to like do the things that feel natural. But unfortunately, food is one of those areas that that doesn't always work, I feel like, because a lot of the yeah. things that we naturally want to do are like not great for us. Like a lot of autistic folks struggle with enteroception and we simply do not realize that we haven't eaten in like 40 hours. Um, and that's mm -hmm. a problem, you know, or I know several autistic people who get kidney stones regularly because they forget to drink water. Um, mm -hmm. So there's lots of different things that naturally happen with neurodivergent brains um, that lead to some unhealthy food and drink habits. So we're here to talk about what some of those unhealthy habits are and mm -hmm. what the heck we can do about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's also interesting too, because you made the good point of like kind of being time blind and also being forgetting to do things and becoming so engrossed with whatever you're doing that you, you forgo eating for like a long amount of time because our brains are just pre-programmed to, we want dopamine. We want that stimulation. And I feel like sometimes the stimulation we get from food is either the same or less than the stimulation we get from like an activity that we're doing. So we will like, we'll get fully into that activity or that thing that we're doing. And we just completely forget because like, in our brain's ranking of like dopamine levels that it gets, the thing that we're doing right now is higher than the food. But that's something too that can switch and kind of also be not the best. And I know you've had someone on your podcast already talked about like binge eating and that being a challenge for people who are neurodiverse too, because sometimes our brains get hyper fixated on the stimulation we get from food because food can be so stimulating. And it has so many different aspects to it. And like anything from like a, like a fizzy soda to like a crunchy apple to like a creamy ranch dip. There's so many textures and experiences that come with food. And I think sometimes we're just not aware of what exactly our brain is looking for when we're thinking about what we want to eat um, and kind of tend to go towards the foods that are not the best for us because they are one, the easiest, and we might not have the attention span to fully like sit down and cook a full, full four course meal. Cause that's a lot, um, both in preparation and in execution. Um, and that can use up a lot of your mental space and just make you tired. And then, then maybe you don't want to eat after that, um, which is challenging. And it's just the, a lot of the foods that are convenient, just like aren't great for us. So, but they do give us that little, like that really good rush of stimulation that we want though, like a nice crunchy French fry. It can be oh really tempting. Goodness, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost like our 
Dopamine seeking combines with our alexithymia, which if you haven't heard that term before listeners, um, it's basically when you have trouble identifying what it is you're feeling. So Mm. our dopamine seeking goes on the subconscious or the unconscious, and Mm -hmm. we're aware that that's what we're doing. And that I think is where we run into some of the bigger problems because if you're aware you are like, that's one step closer to agency. Mm -hmm. Um, but being unaware puts you in like a really difficult position where it's like, I don't know how to do anything different because I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's why I feel like like, this podcast and like other people who are out there kind of like speaking about ADHD and like neurodivergence and like autistic, like the spectrum and everything. Um, it just makes it so much easier to identify where we're coming from because we see other people who are like oh yeah this is what I have and you're like and you call it Alexa I've never actually heard that term before I like yeah alexithymia it's difficulty identifying one's emotions that is definitely me my first like year of counseling with my therapist Anne. shout out to Anne um like was pretty much her just being like helping me identify the feelings that I was feeling and I feel like now because I've done it so much and so often, like I'm actually better than people who are non-neurodiverse at identifying my own feelings and putting the exact, exact name to like what the feeling is that I'm feeling. Um, So yeah, I think that that's really challenging. And I definitely am in agreement that like becoming aware is the first step. Like you have to know that you're making the choice first, um, which kind of like rolls me into what I like to do with my my people who come into my clinic. So um, just as Megan said, I am a dietitian. Um, I work with the Veterans Association, the VA. And so I actually have a lot of retired veterans who we were just talking about. It's very interesting. A lot of them are very neurodivergent and fully undiagnosed because they come from a time. Most of the veterans I work with are like 60, 70, 80 years old. They're in their older years, but they came from a time where mental health was just not talked about. It's just not a thing. And so they come to me and they're people who thrive in situations where they are told exactly what to do. They don't really want to follow a schedule, but they do. They don't have to think about it. They're constantly being just um, directed. And there's always like action. They're moving all around. They can get that energy they have in their system out. Um, So a lot of the people who go through that and come out of it, they feel really lost um, and definitely had have very neurodivergent tendencies, I would say. So Uh, I I don't deal with a lot of diagnosed neurodivergent people, but I definitely deal with a lot of undiagnosed neurodivergent people, which is interesting because I have actually had people in my clinic who like are very much so ADHD, like to the, to like the point where I'm like, oh my goodness, you should be the poster child. Um, And I, I, I tell them like my side of the story, like I tell them a personal antidote about myself and I say like, well, maybe you, would you like to go see like the, the mental health counselor and see if you, this is something that like you might have and you might want to deal with. And they've, uh, I've had a lot of veterans be like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Cause they just like, no one's ever talked to them about it before, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's a whole generation of people who, especially men, I think, um, yes. like we, uh-huh. we talk a lot about women being missed, but, and that's still super accurate, mm-hmm. but I think, um, m- regardless of gender, you are most likely to be identified if you're an inconvenience to others. And that is such a problematic way to diagnose neurodivergence is like, well, mm-hmm. you only get a diagnosis if you're a problem. And like, what a horrible mindset to set kids up for, you know? So like as much as being undiagnosed sucks, believe me, Mm -hmm. um, there are some benefits in that you aren't labeled as a problem child from a very young age, you know? Yeah. It's so challenging. And even as an adult too, like, cause I only, I only realized I had ADHD fully as an adult and like, even in my, in my workplace right now, like I have people who definitely, they, they look at me differently and they treat me like, as like, I'm like below them because I have ADHD, also dyslexia too. So it's just, it's very belittling and very just like a terrible way to treat people in society. Cause I, I feel like the way that society is built, we're missing out on so many amazing things that could be happening if we put neurodivergent people into positions of power or like gave them the same level of agency as people who are are neurotypical because we're just so creative. And like, we think of such so many amazing, like fun things. And 
it's, it's just so sad that that people were like we we're over here like coming up with the next best way to save the world and people are like no 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 those that's a, that's a dumb person it's like no 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 they're not dumb they're not dumb they're not so yeah it's a very mm-hmm. interesting thing for sure Absolutely. Yeah. I'm really, really thankful that I live in the generation that is, you know, really making a difference for neurodivergent mm-hmm. people and like making sure there's room for us at the table. Um, I think that's really, really special and really good. So um, speaking of neurodivergence, let's talk about neurodivergence and food. So you're yeah. a dietitian, you're neurodivergent yes. yourself. Correct. What are some overlaps that you see or ways that neurodivergence affects food. I know we talked a little bit about the yeah. seeking, um, yeah. the ignoring food cues or simply mm-hmm. not registering food cues. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest takeaway, honestly, between like neurodivergence and like eating is one, people don't realize how emotionally connected and like feeling connected food is. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, I feel like as neurodivergent people, uh, we are largely driven by like feelings, like feelings for like, in like feelings of like whatever it is in our hearts, feelings in our brains, feelings like that we want to experience in the world. So like either like, like tactile feelings, like the crunch, like the, um, like the texture in your mouth or like the feelings of like, oh, my grandmother made this for me. So I should eat more of it because she loves me. Um. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So I, I think one of the biggest disconnects, and this is just on the whole that people have from food is they like, they think that it's not like connected to their emotions. They, they, they miss the mental aspect of it. And food is so emotionally driven, like the food choices that we make. And as a neurodivergent person, our emotions, like they fuel a lot of what, how we, like how we go about our day and everything that happens in our day. And like, if we're feeling mad, we might like, go and eat crackers or something. This is just a random example, but like really we're just looking for something to maybe chew on or something and a piece of gum would have been fine, but we just, that's our feelings just give us these other feelings and we just turn to food for that stimulation. And I think people miss the connection of like, of like feelings and food. If that makes Absolutely. Sense. And I think so many people, especially women are shamed for mm-hmm. emotional, emotional eating as if eating mm-hmm. isn't a inherently emotional act. Like yeah. it, oh, every time you eat it's emotional, it doesn't matter yeah. if it's like binge eating or not binge eating or ice cream or, or broccoli. It's still, there's still a feeling and an emotion that comes with each thing you put into your mouth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I so agree. I'm so glad that because there are definitely some dietitians out there who I think their goal is to make food a non-emotional event. And I think, mm-hmm. first of all, I don't agree with that. I think I don't think that's realistic. Is, you no, know, I don't think it's realistic for people in general, but I definitely don't think it's realistic for neurodivergent clients because no. like you said, like, and this is not true for all neurodivergent people, obviously, like it's a wide mm-hmm. umbrella. There's lots of experiences. Like I know lots of autistic people who are like, just incredibly logic driven and have a lot of trouble connecting to their emotions. But mm-hmm. I also know lots of ADHDers who are sort of the opposite where it's like too many feelings. My emotions are everything. And I don't mm-hmm. know how to be anything besides my emotions. And yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's completely unrealistic unless, unless you are that there are that subsect of like of neurodivergent folks and like also neurotypical folks who like they're, they think so logically that like everything they think of is in logic, but that is a very like small, I would say a smaller subset of people comparatively speaking. Yeah. Those are those weirdos who put their whole meal into a blender and just drink it. Cause it all goes to the same place. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> it's more convenient and they like, don't even taste it. And they're like, you're like, did you just put like eggs and peanut butter and like sardines in that? And they're like, yeah, just like so get protein. It's like, uh-huh. Okay. Like weird. Sure. <laughs> Those of you I'm who so sorry my- to anyone listening who does that, but that is, that blows my mind. <laughs> Those of you who come into my clinic and they tell me what they're doing. And I say, you know what, like nutritionally broken down, that's perfect. So, you know what, you just keep doing what you're doing, my friend. You just keep on, keep on doing you. Um, I mean, and sometimes that's what you got to do too. Sometimes you just got to like accept it and that's what it is. But yeah, I mean, the fact that like, I'm even thinking of just like holidays, the fact that you can Ooh. try to think that all food is going to become 
like detached from emotion. And you think like how many, how many people go to a holiday meal and don't have some kind of emotion, Mm -hmm. like a very, very, very tiny subset of people. And to, to say like, oh yeah, we should just make all food like emotionless and it's food is fuel, which it is. And that, but that's part of the emotion that, and the feeling that goes into things is you want to feel like you're fueling your body properly. Like that's that's how you want to feel. You don't want to feel nothing. Like if you feel Mm -hmm. nothing, that's like, I, like I said, there are people who do feel like really nothing about eating, but they're a very small subset of people, comparatively speaking to the people who say like, go to like a Thanksgiving meal. And you're like every, I'm sure you have like a set of feelings, like even if you're thinking about Thanksgiving right now, you have that like Thanksgiving feeling in your soul, be it a good one or a bad one or an indifferent one. You, you just know what that meal kind of like feels like in your soul a little bit, or, or that situation feels like in your soul. And that translates into how you're going to go about eating and how you are going to interpret the choices that you should be making at whatever the meal is, be it like good, bad, or indifferent choices. It It's going to be driven by how you feel in some capacity. Yes, Especially- absolutely. Let's talk about holiday meals and neurodivergence. Let's go there because that oh. is a whole conversation oh and a half. So I like vividly remember being a little kid and going to holiday meals and we, I have a very big family. So like we rent out a hall and we like bring a ton of food and I vividly remember going to these parties and coming home and we had to bring like a bucket in the car because I was going to throw up every single time. And it was like, my parents were like, just don't eat until you're sick. But I didn't register that I felt sick until Mm -hmm. I felt sick. You know, Mm -hmm. like, how are you supposed to stop before you get to that point? Like, it was a total illusion to me. Um, (laughs) And then I got to grad school. I think this is where my, like, sense of, or not grad school, just college in general. Mm -hmm. And I was in charge of my own food for the first time. And I think that's when it finally kicked in, like, oh, I'm in charge. I get to decide what I eat. And, like, I'm not sure why I thought I had to eat until I was sick. Like now I just eat into, I, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but like once I was in charge of my yeah. own food, I think that makes such a difference. And I wonder how this affects neurodivergent people who have like higher support needs when it comes to food and maybe can't make mm. um, a lot of choices about their food or don't make a lot of choices about their food. And I, I worry that- I don't know. I worry about that. I suppose now that I'm thinking about it, like that there might be a whole subsect of neurodivergent people with higher support needs when it comes to food, whose needs aren't being met or are being overmet all Mm -hmm. because like their bodies don't give them these signals (laughs) the way. Yeah. 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 Well, and that can be also like the, I can't remember the exact name. Um, gosh, I, I, I just, I literally just had it in my brain. I was like, I know what that chemical is that tells you that you're full. And now the, um, now the, now the I'll think of it later. I promise I'll think okay. of it later. Uh, <laughs> it'll come back to me at some point. Um, but there is a chemical in your body that does like it does increase as you like your stomach fills fills with food, and it will tell your your body like, hey, by the way, just checking in. I'm full over here. No no need to to stuff me with food. And some people's like physiologically speaking, like they just don't have that chemical in their body, and that is a actual like like in addition to like neurodivergency, it is something that some people do have to deal with. Um, but I think too, it's just, uh, I think a lot of it, especially I, I, I nodded my head when you said, when you got to college and you finally got to get like, choose your own food. I, I think a lot of it is control. And especially as someone who's being told like, oh, you're like, as a kid, if you're diagnosed or even if you're undiagnosed, like, oh, you're the problem, you're all over the place. And people are trying to like, put some level of control over you as a kid possibly and then you go to these like big events where like you can do whatever you want and you and like you don't have to eat like the the meatloaf that your mom makes like five times a week or you don't have to do this plus there's like I mean I'm thinking specifically for myself like there were these rolls that my mom my aunt Tina used to make at Christmas and I would like blow through like 30 of them because like it was just that feeling of the roll in my mouth and in my stomach that my brain just wanted and it was just like I and I couldn't get enough and those things are like 
simple carbohydrates so they don't have any like fiber really or anything in them or any bulk that's going to like make me feel fuller sooner so i could pound down like 30 20 to 30 of those like no problem you know and then i too i would i wouldn't throw up but i would definitely feel kind of sick afterwards but it's just my brain was like kind of let off the leash and then i found something that was giving me that little dopamine rush that i wanted that was like the perfect one for that moment and I just like, you, you just can't get enough. You're just like, oh my gosh, like this. And you're probably thinking too, like, this is the only time when I get to do this because it's only once in a while. And during the regular days, like my regular days, like I am kind of like put in a box, you know, and now I can kind of do whatever I want, which is challenging, which I feel like most people, when they get to college, even if you're neurodivergent or not, like you either have one of two reactions, you either start really controlling the food that you're eating and being aware to some, to either an unhealthy or like a unhealthy level or a healthy level, or you just kind of like go bananas. Cause you're like, I can have like, I can have Hershey's bars for breakfast. Well, I don't care. Like I can do whatever I want. I'm an adult. Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh. That is so familiar. I can't tell you the number of times I had a pint of ice cream for breakfast in college. Mm -hmm. like, breakfast pizza is a thing, you know? Yeah. Breakfast pizza. That's for sure. Oh and by God. that, I mean like hot, fresh breakfast pizza, like, right. like, like not even the night before, like purposely going out and getting pizza. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So I think, I think there's like three things you touched on there that I want to just mm -hmm. sort of reiterate real quick. Yes. So there's the sense of control that goes into mm -hmm. eating. So like yes. when you're a kid, meals are made for you. You are told to eat them like, and mm -hmm. even if they're good meals, like my mom, oh my goodness, my mom is like a chef, not literally, but she could Ooh. be her food heaven. But when you go to parties, it's a buffet and there are all yeah. these places and it's mm -hmm. like the control is like you get to choose. So I think that's a big part of it. I think there's the sensory part as well, where yes. you were talking about, you liked the sensation of the roll mm -hmm. in your mouth. Mm -hmm. And I, oh my goodness, I love food probably because my mom's such a good cook. I love food. And so I want to eat good food and mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if I'm full, it tastes good. And I want yeah. more. <laughs> yes. Correct. So I think that's part two. And then part three, the last part that I sort of picked up on, as you were talking was this sense of like, you have to show your gratitude, I guess. I don't know if you got this sense at family parties, mm. but I very much got the sense that like, if I only got a chicken leg and mashed potatoes and a roll, like people would judge me because I didn't get aunt Tina's, um, yes. mm -hmm. green bean casserole, or I didn't pick out uncle Joe's noodles, you know, mm -hmm. like I didn't want to offend anyone by not getting their food. And I honestly have no idea if my family would actually judge me for that or yeah. not. If that was like a perceived like fear of judgment, I'm not sure which one mm. it was, but I think that's part of it too. So yeah. if you end up with all this food on your plate, half of it, you don't even want, but you feel obligated to eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's a big, I would call that like social pressure. I mm. feel like that's like a really big thing that I work with a lot of my people with because uh, like one of the hardest things to do especially if you're someone who has like a lot of feelings and also a lot of fear of repercussion um, is saying no. Mm -hmm. And that's like super hard. Um, mm -hmm. And as someone who's like gone through the journey of like, what am I going on? Like seven years of therapy with my therapist, Anne. shout out to Anne again. Uh, <laughs> um, and now like a year with my now ADHD specific therapist echo too. So like I, I I've been putting in the work, my friends. Um, and I'm going to keep doing it. I still, I see both of them still. So it's a good thing, but say, learning for me, like learning to say no, especially to family is so hard because it's like, I feel like even like you said, like, if you don't put that food on your plate, you can just feel like the judgment in your soul coming from people, even if they, they actually don't care if they're they, they don't even notice what you're eating. Like, let's just say they don't, but you just feel so guilty in your soul that like, you didn't put uncle Joe's noodles on your plate. And you're like, uncle Joe would be so sad. He would be well, so sad. I think part of that probably comes at least for me. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, my mom is a really good cook. And so if you didn't eat her food, it really did feel personal to her. She spent mm -hmm. a lot, she spent a lot of time on our meals. And yeah. so for like, I was always afraid that everyone put the same amount of love and effort into their food and I couldn't not eat it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I think one of the biggest things that people like, especially like as adults now, like we, we fail to realize is that everyone is so self-absorbed. <laughs> we're all, we're all just like stuck. Like, like I said, like Joe, uncle Joe probably won't even notice what's on your plate. Like, unless it's like your mom, who's like standing over like the meals and she is <laughs> like, she's like hovering and making sure that like you take her, her pasta, which another thing we talk about too is like not having to eat everything on your plate but like even if you don't like take if you take your pasta and you don't eat it she still will be like on top of you which for most people that's not usually the case like you might have one relative here or there who is kind of like a a jerk about that kind of stuff but for the most part people are really self-absorbed in their own stuff um and this is something i talk about with people with like what they put on their plate and also like going to the gym too because people are very like self-aware which i totally get it when you go because i was too when i first started when you like go to the gym or you like go outside walking or something like that but like you have to think like did you notice the other people around you half the time? Do mm-hmm. you know, do you know what's on your cousin Karen's plate? Did you see Uncle yeah. Joe's plate? <laughs> I think this is where it's hard for a lot of autistic people um, who have really high pattern recognition and mm. do notice these things. Yeah. And so, cause that's, that's the case for me. Like when I go mm. to the gym, sometimes I'm really self-conscious. I'm a plus li- plus size lady and yeah. I'm a little worried and people are like, oh, nobody's noticing. Like you don't notice like other fat people at the gym. And I'm mm. like, yes, I do. And like, what do you mean? Of course I do. Yeah. Now, do I judge them? No, but like I notice yeah. and I wonder if they're feeling self-conscious and mm. all this stuff. So like, I think when you have high pattern recognition and you do notice these things, it's hard to remember that not everyone else has that high pattern recognition yeah. because autism is so genetic. It's mm-hmm. like, well, there's a good chance that they are noticing because, mm. <laughs> you know, so it's like, oh, panic. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's, I feel like that's the time to like break out like the rationale side of things. Like, and that's something to work with the therapist on be like, to either like, I did, like you said, like identify it, like identify, like, okay, I have high pattern recognition. Am I in a group of other people that probably do? And like, just imagine too. And I was just actually talking to my friend about this too, because we were talking about like asking um, promoters for like tickets for an event or something. And she's like, I'm so scared that I'm going to make like a bad impression on them. I can't believe it. I was like, well, think of like what they would think if you came up to them as the, as someone whose job is to be a promoter, like, what do you think their reaction is if someone who has like a media outlet asks them for a ticket to something? That's their job. They're probably going to be like, oh, great. You saved Perfect. me an email. Um, they're not going to think, oh, my gosh, this person asked me for something, even though it is my job and they I, I they saved me some time. Um, you have to kind of maybe flip this, flip the script sometimes and think like, OK, like if I was in this person's position um what would happen like if you see the other plus size person at the gym like like do they feel self-conscious and like maybe maybe that means that like hey I'm not alone like everyone in here maybe feels kind of self-conscious and like it's fine we're all here to improve ourselves you know um and they're not like judging you though like it's a lot of the time I feel like and I feel like this too like I my my instinct is to assume that everyone is judging me and just like feel like I'm being watched in a way. And I don't know if that's a neurodivergent thing or just something that my family does. Cause my family definitely does that a lot where they're just like super judgmental about everything. But for the most part, most people like don't notice you or like, they don't think negatively towards you. I would say like, even if they do have that high pattern recognition, I feel like they're, they're not worried about you like they're not guilting on you. They're probably thinking about themselves and being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't get uncle Joe's like, like green beans. And she got uncle Joe's green beans and I should have gotten uncle Joe's green beans. But then you're thinking about the pasta and looking at their plate and be like, oh my God, I didn't get the pasta. They actually got the pasta. And you're both so worried about your, you have that recognition, but you're more so worried about yourself that it kind of implodes a little bit. And that's the time where it's like, it's like, okay, I got to like mentally remove myself from my brain and put my brain somewhere else. So that way I can see from outside, like, is this actually something to be like super, super self-aware of, or is this something that I'm just kind of, uh, just making low key making up or just like overreacting to, um, my, uh, again, we'll, we'll shout out to Anne. Anne says feelings are not facts. And I say, 
yes, Anne, feelings are not facts because just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean it's actually what's happening in front of you. Um, and that can be really hard to discern as someone who's neurodivergent, like where the feelings stop and the facts start. Mm -hmm. So, and that's something you really have to practice at. I feel like, especially when it comes to like eating and like being self-aware and making choices and stuff like that. Yeah, I think I can get behind that. I can I introduce just a little bit of nuance to Anne's take about feelings and facts. Okay, go okay. for it. I'm here for it. Because <laughs> I think feelings are factual in the sense mm. that they represent a truth, but yes. they aren't necessarily the only truth, if that makes sense. There are yeah. other facts to consider besides just this one feeling. So yeah. like, I grew up with a lot of emotional invalidation. So I'm always very sensitive when people are like, feelings aren't facts. And I'm like, but my feelings need to matter. Um, <laughs> well, that doesn't mean they don't matter. Exactly. Uh, You're right. You're so yeah. right. Yeah. It feel, the feelings aren't facting is more or less just like seeing like, okay, I have these feelings and this is like, these, these are my valid feelings. And I, I can feel these feelings. Like there's nothing wrong with feeling your feelings, like yeah. feel them, like take them in, soak them in, but then also realize that like, those are, that's your experience and mm -hmm. the people around you aren't living your experience. So kind of like live in the experience that you're living in and then kind of just then, then be like, okay, what is everyone else doing? What is the actual scenario that is happening between every myself and my environment? Um, and like, you can have your internal environment and that's all good and well, and you should feel your feelings. I'm a big proponent of just like, feel your feelings now. Don't save them for later. Cause they'll kick you in the butt later. Um, <laughs> So just like feel those feelings, but then also realize like your feelings are not the only factual thing that's happening and your feelings are yeah. based on facts and they are based on like the facts of the situation, but they're not the only things that's there. I think yeah. essentially, I guess. No, I love that. I, I love that explanation. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I don't want to invalidate think... anyone. Oh no. Yeah. 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 Never the goal. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I think one other thing that gets me through some of the social pressure is, uh, just straight up defiance, um, Ooh, okay. <laughs> where it's like, okay, I'm feeling this social pressure. Like you were describing, I'm mm -hmm. feeling judgment from others that may or may not be true, but there's no way for me to know. So it's sort of like Schrodinger's judgment. Yeah. Um, and so like, it's stressing me out and it's like, okay, wait a minute let's just pretend they're all judging me. Like every mm -hmm. single person in this gym is thinking, wow, she is really fat and shouldn't be here. Like she's embarrassing or whatever, like whatever horrible thing that my brain comes up with. Right. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, okay, fine. You want to judge me? Fine. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll take up more space. I'll be fatter just for you. Like, oh <laughs> <screw> yeah. You, <laughs> you know, or I like, know same thing I with identify with that. Like, yeah. I'll be like, you know what? I'm just going to get mashed potatoes and noodles and like the plainest food in the world. And if you ask me about it, I'm going to give you a 30 minute lecture on autism because you asked for it. You know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like that's sometimes like, sometimes that kind of bites us in the butt. Cause I definitely identify that with that. I definitely have like done the like hundred percent defiance method before. Um, but sometimes that could be really useful. Like if you, cause it makes you feel empowered and yeah. that is something that like, saying no like we talked about like is really challenging because it feels like it, it feels like you're like breaking something like you're you're really breaking a rule but then sometimes if you feel that level of defiance and you're just like you know what screw it and you just like do whatever you want you can you can empower yourself to the point where like the no feels doable and you can come up with a better solution sometimes actually if you like give yourself that level of uh, like empowerment where i mean sometimes the defiance thing can go too far and you can just like really take it to the extreme but if you're having a really hard time saying no you can kind of just like almost give yourself a superpower and just be like you know what i'm just gonna do it and I, yeah I, I would call that to like thinking of like what's the worst case scenario like what's the absolute, cause yeah. a lot of the times I feel like we have like a feeling of anxiety and just like chaos and also just like freaking out in our souls. And there's not really an actual concrete worst case scenario that's floating around in our brains. It's more or less the anxiety ab about it. And to like think through like, okay, if I don't take uncle Joe's noodles, like what actually is the worst thing that's going to happen? He's not going to disown me on the spot. He's just going to be like, oh, I wish you would drink, eat some noodles. And then he'd be a little bit sad. And that would probably be the end of it. And like, is that real? Is he, is he not going to talk to you ever again? No. Mm -hmm. Is he like going to be mad at you for more than like 
if anything, for more than like two minutes, probably not. So kind of just actually like rationally sitting down and being like, like, I know, like when I go out running, sometimes I'll be like, oh my God, I'm so like the, the weather looks terrible today. It's like to Juliana, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to have to pull over into a restaurant and call your friend to come pick you up because the weather gets too bad. Like, that's really not terrible. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like an actual, <laughs> the world is not ending. Um, and I, yeah, I think that it, it, that can be really helpful too, to just kind of like use that defiance and be like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do this. And like empower yourself in a way. Yeah. I think I I like that a lot. I think, um, it gives us, like we were talking about before, Mm -hmm. a lot of food decisions are made out of a desire for control. And I think a lot of times, uh, kids who are neurodivergent, but undiagnosed, they are very used to making decisions in order to make others happy because Mm -hmm. they know if they made decisions to make themselves happy, it would make others unhappy because people are annoyed with them or frustrated by them or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And so, and that comes down to our food choices too, I think. Yeah. And especially like as a kid, and if you get a like, once you get into like high school or middle school and you kind of have your own money and you have like a little bit more transportation, be it yourself having a car, your friends having a car or like a bike or something like that, and you get more independence, like one of the first things aside from like, maybe like, um, like your clothing and stuff like that is like what you eat is something that you can have control over. Cause one it's within your budget as like a middle school or a high school. If you have like a job, like you can drop like anywhere between like a dollar and like 20 bucks on something if you want. Um, and it's something that you can kind of go against the grain or like kind of defy your parents a little bit and have that level of control, go buy that candy bar that your mom will never let you buy. And since like you were like six years old, you've wanted to like have a can this candy bar and now you can go buy it. And then you kind of, sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes that's kind of a bad thing. Cause then you get kind of addicted in a way almost to having that level of control. And then that can kind of spiral, but um, it, it definitely is like, interesting to think about that like food is one of the first things we can actually have autonomy over and it's something that a lot of people kind of grasp onto as a means of control if they can't control really much else of what's going on in their life at whatever given point that is yeah and i wonder about different demographics where that control comes much later in life and how that Mm. affects them you know for instance like your clients at the va a lot of them probably joined up when they were 18 and Mm -hmm. went from their parents cooking to the V the military cooking. And then they had to enter the world without someone cooking and they Mm -hmm. were left with, you know, not a lot of knowledge or skills necessarily Mm -hmm. for doing that. And I could see that being a struggle. I could see people who, um, struggle financially, um, who don't have that couple of bucks to blow on food Mm -hmm. as a middle or middle schooler or high schooler. Um, again, getting that freedom much later in life and not knowing to cope with it or yeah, lots of different demographics that could struggle with this later in life. So if you're listening and you're like, I just now feel like I'm getting control and I'm in like my thirties, forties, fifties. Yeah. That's okay. It's Mm -hmm. so okay. (laughs) Yeah. It is very interesting to talk about like the veterans too, because you're right. They go from like a very structured, either like school, school and home environment where their meals are prepared for them, where they go to a place where not only are their meals prepared for them, but they are dictated very specific times that they can eat. And sometimes it means like they don't know the next time they're going to eat. Like they could have like a meal here and they're like, we're going out on the expedition and we literally do not know when we are going to be back. So a lot of them do like tend to have like binge eating challenges too. Um, And also I've noticed they all eat at the end. They skip breakfast, they have black coffee, they skip lunch, and then they eat a huge dinner because um, that was pretty much what they were doing at, in their in their branch of the service. And they were given like specific times. They're like, like I've talked to a lot of them. They were like, yeah, my my uh, my mess hall time was like six to six thirty, and you had to be there from six to six thirty, or you miss your mess hall time. And you don't get to eat. Um, so they're, they're used to coming from a place that is like excessively structured to then all of a sudden they're dumped back in the civilian world and they're like McDonald's maybe, Hmm, I can do whatever I want. I can have like any foods that I want and it's all tasty here. And it's so much better than that. Those (laughs) stupid MREs that we get. It's just, 
it, it makes sense as to why they would go and just be like, you know what, screw it. And why I have so many people who are like in their 60s and 70s who have diabetes in my clinic who are past service members because they just they went from a place where everything was structured to a place where there was literally no structure at all. And and that 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 level that missing structure can be really hard for people who are neurodivergent, especially if it's something that they like now they have control over their food and they've never in their like thirties or forties, this is the first time they're having control over what they can eat. And it's America maybe is not the best place for that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. For sure. There's a lot of, um, (laughs) a lot of complicating factors about gaining control over your food after having not had it. And also one last thing I think we should discuss before we wrap up is executive functioning troubles and food. Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) Because I know that has been, it sort of goes into this idea of like Mm -hmm. uh, veteran clients who, um, you know, had this done for them and now they have to do it for themselves. And yeah, they've had meal plans, essentially like meal plans, quote unquote, made for them their, their entire life until they get to the civilian world. And then they're like, they have to, they have to actually think. And I think that like people who are not neurodiverse, and I've just started to realize this in myself too, is that like planning a task is a task. Yes. Like, like sitting down, like me sitting down today and writing my to-do list. I'm like, will I actually get to those items on my to-do list? Cause that took so much effort to write out that to-do list oh, that, it's, that it's yeah. like, that is, that is a task. And like, and I feel like most neurodivergent people like if our task is to plan something, like if you're like Juliana, you have to go plan a vacation. Like we're great at that. Like we can do the actual planning because the, the planning is the task in that situation. But the task of planning plus the task of carrying out the tasks is just like so much. And it so takes much. like so much of our energy that, yeah, it definitely, uh, it definitely is really hard. Um, and like, I definitely, I am not someone who likes meal plans. I don't, I am not a meal plan dietitian. I don't like to hand them out. I feel like unless someone really needs one, I don't like to utilize it just because I don't want you to have to have a task to follow through with like a big task. Cause like meal planning is really hard. Um, even for someone who does it like professionally and I don't want you to have to like do that and then be so tired that you're not going to do any of the other things or like actually make the meals that are on there. Um, I'm someone, and we talked about this briefly too, is that I like to work with the habits that you have, um, and just kind of, I call it resetting your default settings, like trying slowly over time with like little rewards thrown in for like each little thing that you do. Um, and like monitoring by myself, like, I, I mean, one, all this on, honestly, one of the biggest things I do for my people is that I just provide them with like a person to check in with. Cause they just need that like renewal on their subscription to like someone is checking in on them and like, they can keep up with it. If it's like, okay, like I have to do this. And then in a week, I'm going to see Juliana. And after that, in a week, I'm going to see Juliana. And I'm just like, did you do the thing? And they're like, I did the thing. I'm like, yay. And then, so they get that level of like accountability. And that honestly is half my job, just keeping people accountable and just checking in with them and being like, okay, so did we, and I don't like to set more than like two tasks for my people either. So like, if you're working with me and you come in and you're like, not drink, my biggest thing is water. Like if you're not drinking enough water, I'm like, okay, this week, I want you to drink two 16, two of those plastic Poland spring bottles. I want you to drink two of them every day. I'm not going to give you any other goals. That's it. Just drink two Poland spring bottles of water and I'll see you in a week. And like, they'll, that way they're like, they have, there's like one task. They don't have to plan anything. They're only thinking, thinking about one task. And I feel like also as this might be a neurodivergent thing, but like the more we think in a direction, the more like we're, we're likely, we're like going to be like, you know what? I could eat a vegetable today because I'm drinking my water because I'm thinking in like a healthy direction, more or less. Like our brains are kind of going in that way. And we're not being like dictated at like, oh, you have to do this. Like, I, that's not my personality. I'm like, you know what you do? I tell people too. I'm like, if you weren't doing, if you weren't doing something right, you wouldn't be here in my office and you'd be dead. So you're doing something right. And <laughs> keep up most of what you're doing. We're just going to edit this like one thing and like slowly work our way up to this with like those check-ins and that accountability um, and the little like woos from me. So I, yeah, I definitely think that um, 
yeah, the, the accountability and all those things is really, really important for neuro. Absolutely. Folks. And I love, love, love how you frame that. Like you're doing this 90% right. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You are here, you are alive. You are, you have, you know, you've, yeah, got you're sitting this. in front of we're me just breathing and living. <laughs> yeah. I, I just love that reframe. Cause there are so many of us who struggle so much and it's like, it just starts to feel a little bit like you're failing at everything. And yeah. like when, especially when you can't make yourself a meal, like that's one of those adulthood things that it feels yeah. like you're supposed to be able to do. And when I was in grad school, I freaking couldn't like my, the way my mm-hmm. autism and my ADHD interact with each other. Like my autism makes me very particular about what I eat on any given mm-hmm. day. And then my ADHD makes the executive functioning so that it's like really difficult for me to even do that. So like, yeah. I can't tell you the number of lunches I had that were a pop and half a block of cheese. Like that was mm-hmm. it because like, yeah, that's what I had the skills to do. And yeah, yeah. Now, so I'm going to give a shout out to a service that I use. This podcast is not sponsored by them or anything. <laughs> I just really, really like them. If I can figure it out, I'll put the affiliate link down in the show notes, but, um, it's called e meals. Um, so it's, I haven't heard of. yeah, it's this app. And what I like about it is you get to choose your general meal plan that you want. Mm, so yes. like we're on the diabetic plan for my husband mm-hmm. and, um, So they have diabetes uh, friendly meals. They do keto. They have gluten-free. They have all kinds of different meal plan options. And then you go through and you pick the ones you want. So Mm -hmm. like, it's not like this is what you're going to make every day this week. And there's no options. It's just, you pick what you want to make that week. Mm -hmm. And then it, it, here's the really cool thing. It compiles a shopping list for you. Oh, that's nice. On top of that, you, there's a function in the app where you can send that shopping list to Kroger, Aldi, whatever is like Instacart it. Instacart it for you in the app. It is oh, that's so nice. An executive functioning dream. <laughs> that's fabulous. Yeah, See, that's like the fabulous. thing too. That's the thing too. Is like I am. I'm very non-conventional in like the in the uh, like modifications or like suggestions I give. Like like if you go see any other, other dietitian, they're going to be like, okay, you need to eat like 45 to 30 grams of carbohydrate, 60 grams of carbohydrate each yeah. meal. But well, it's, it's very like cut and dry and like very cookie cutter. Um, whereas I have like some people who come to my clinic and their first assignment for me is to keep a journal of all the, all the feelings they have when they, when they eat, just sit down and every meal that they have, just like, even if it's a note in their phone, just like jot down, like, I feel happy right now. I feel furious. I feel, and just like identifying that. And like, I tell them like, just write down, like maybe what you ate or like kind of what you were craving at that point, because that's like a big thing is like connecting your feelings with like what you're eating. And like you said, like too, with the executive function side of things, it's like, okay, are my feelings too overwhelming where I just like, I can't do anything right now because like my executive function skills are like at a negative five. And so like what happens, I call that kind of like, those are kind of like your default settings where you're like, I am like, my system is like short circuiting. I, my go-to thing is to eat a pop and some cheese. And like, what I would do then is I'd be like, okay, how can we like edit this a little bit? Like, can we make it? So can I send you home with like, cause I, I love to utilize the food pantry we have next door to where I work too. So I'll send people home with goodies. Um, I was like, can I send you home with like oatmeal or like, can I send you home with like these granola bars? And like, can we try and eat the granola bars this week instead of like the, the freeze pop or whatever, so that we are getting like a little bit more protein and whole grains. And like, you come back to me, you're like, okay, like three out of the four, five, seven days I ate the granola bar. I'll be like, great. That's a step in the right direction. You know, we, we made a right step. Like I, I just like to make it as easy as possible for people to like, cause I fully understand the executive function thing. And I'm like, if you give me more than three goals and you don't give me any resources, do you think I'm going to follow through? No, no, right. I'm not. Right. I'm not. I'm not. There's no way I'm doing it. Sorry. I'm going to forget as soon as I get out of here, unless you hand me like very easy to understand concrete, like things that I need. And you're like, you hand me like, you hand me like the granola bars. And then then I have like a quick sticky note on the granola bars that says eat one when you're stressed. And like, that's it. And I'm like, oh, cool. I can do that. I I can put these on the counter and then I'll see it. And I'll see the sticky note. Like I remember it. Um, And that's kind of like the gist of what I like to send my peeps home with is just like, I want to give you something that is not too overwhelming. And that it's easy to, to like do no matter what your executive functioning level is at, at on that day and time. Um, 
especially if it's something that we're working on where it is like, like it's a stress thing that you're doing. Um, then I want to make it as easy as possible to like utilize whatever that behavioral change is that we want to have you do. Because um, if it's hard, it's not going to happen. Like if it's like, if it's like innately more like the, like the access point is hard. If it's hard to access, not the actual action. If it's hard to access, it, it can be really like, you're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Who are we kidding? Right. Yeah. It's all about like decreasing friction between where you are now and where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of like my, my big, my big thing too. So yeah. yeah. And li- little by little and like, take it, take it in strides. And like, if you need to be held accountable, like find someone like myself, like a dietitian, if it's the nutrition side of things or like a coach like yourself, Megan, who's going to like, like keep you like in the loop. Cause like we people, like, I know, especially like as a, someone with ADHD, like my brain loses interest unless there's someone else who also has that, like, who's like keeping me in the game. Like I need that someone to be like, Hey, did you do that thing? I'll be like, Oh yeah, go back. I got to go do that thing right now. Uh, Cause I will just full on forget. And then I'll start losing interest and my motivation will start waning. But if I know that in a week, oh, I have to go back to see Megan because she's going to ask me if I did my journaling um, and if I planned out this, uh, my vacation. So um, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it now. And maybe it happens as a thing that I do last minute before I get to your appointment. But at least like I had the the motivation to do it, you know, and I think also just like being accepting of whatever, like the people that I'm working with, they come back to me and I'm like, they're like, oh, I only did it like one out of three days and they're like feeling a level of shame. I'm like, that's good. Great. You're made a right step. I, I, one thing I also like to say, another Julianism, uh, one step in the right direction is one step in the right direction, no matter how big it is. Mm, yeah. I like that. Yeah. So if you're again, like with the same thing of like, you're here, you're alive, you're doing something right. Like you're making progress. Like we didn't take any steps back this week. And even if we did, you can still keep moving forward. Like I count it as a sideways step and not a backwards step. Um, We took a a step sideways. Now we just got to move our our butts in the correct direction and scoot them forward instead of sideways next week. Um, And that could be like, again, like in a big way or in a small way, it doesn't matter. I have people who come back to me in, in a week and they're like, I overhaul my whole diet because they're like so gung ho about it now. It's it's like their new special interest. Um, <laughs> um, and then I have people who come back and again, they're like, I only did it one out of the seven days. And I'm like, that's great. Let's keep going. You can do better. I know you can. I believe in you. Um, and I think that's half it too. It's just like having someone who is there to be like, you know what? You can do it. Because I feel like, again, like as you mentioned earlier, us as neurodivergent folks, we're used to people talking down to us and being like, you can't do it. You're dumb. Like, who do you think you are? What are you doing? And just having someone sitting there being like, nope, you can do it. And it's like, just, I feel like really needed in a big way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, there's been a lot, uh, that we've covered so far. Um, so what I want to ask is for some of our neurodivergent listeners who maybe tuned out a little bit while we were talking and now they're tuning back in and they're like, crap, I missed everything. What is like one key takeaway you hope people take away from this episode? I would say that just recognize that eating is an emotional experience and that uh, feelings are very connected to how you eat. Um, and I would also say that you're doing a good thing. You guys are heading in the right direction. Keep up what you're doing and you're, you're doing a good job. So I love that. That's a really good message to yeah. leave with. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here and, uh, everybody, I will talk to you again next Saturday. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave a review over on Apple Podcasts, and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.